I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, with courage on our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and our God, and as a God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we, we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we are starting a new series today. We said, what if, what if, just what if, what if I were to tell you that we as, um, as the Kingstown Communion are evangelical and liturgical? What if I were to tell you we are Wesleyan 
subscribing to the theology of John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement. We're also Orthodox, and we're Catholic, and we're liberal, and we're Bible-based, and we're spirit-filled. We're all these things. What if I were to tell you all those things? Um, and they seem contradictory, but maybe they're not, okay? Maybe they're not. Uh, and today we begin with this word evangelical. So hi, my name is Michelle. I'm an evangelical. Before 2016, though, um, I was not as uncomfortable saying that I was an evangelical, identifying myself as evangelical, even with the problems the word already had at that point. But now things are a little different, and it's super tempting to throw it out completely. I get it, because whatever its historical value, this word, the word evangelical in America has become inextricably tied to a particular brand of politics. And this is because, if we're honest, the dominant media is far more interested in the political expressions of religion than religion itself. Because it has become inextricably politicized, evangelical has become an essentially divisive term among Bible-believing Christians. We'll get to that word Bible-believing later. That's a whole other word, right? Um, as many African Americans and Hispanics and others cannot identify with the political ramifications of being an evangelical. In American pop culture, evangelical now basically just means white person who considers him or herself religious and who votes Republican. And I feel like I know our congregation, though. I know what you believe, and I know generally, you know, we have conversations, I know how you vote, I know what you believe, and the funny thing is about this word is that I know that we have white people in our, we have a lot of white people in our congregation, we have white, we have white persons in our congregation who also consider themselves religious and who vote Republican and do not want to be called an evangelical, right? We do. There is so much baggage associated with that word. There is so much hatred and anger at that word. If any word in Christianity has been hijacked and misused, it is the word evangelical. And many on the conservative side of Christianity are afraid to use the term, while many on the liberal side think of it as as slanderous a word as extremism or fundamentalism. But the reality is, in its truest sense, the word evangelical is a historical Christian term that is packed with so much meaning. When it began being used in America, it served as a distinction between two extremes. Those who were evangelical were not liberal, but they were also not fundamentalists. Evangelical was the moderate stream of Christian faith committed to a high view of scripture, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the importance of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others, and the value of doing justice and loving mercy in the world. Those were the four things they were known for. Evangelicals were those who engaged culture. They did not separate themselves from culture. They were those who engaged in dialogue and discussion and had a broad denominational people and perspective. They were not associated with any political party or particular social issue. They had a, a commitment to living the gospel, a commitment to being the person and power of Jesus to the world they were in. A commitment to seeing as many people as possible come to know the love of Christ and as many hungry stomachs filled as possible. This was the evangelical movement of people like D.L. Moody, 
John Wesley, C.H. Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, Minnow Simmons, Charles Finley, a bunch of founders of a variety of denominations. These are the men who are known for their passionate preaching and their passionate desire to do justice and mercy in the world. These men were known for their edgy ministries. They were not particularly liked. These edgy ministries reached out to the least of these, the poorest, engaged with those who differed from them theologically and ideologically. These men were known for engaging in creating culture, not just rejecting culture. These men were known for a commitment to the gospel in every arena of life. So, so what happened to that word evangelicalism then? Who, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Those four things. You, you, you believe that scripture has a place in your life and it's fundamental to your faith, that it helps you grow. That you believe in the centrality of Jesus for the church and for the world. You believe in that that's good enough news to share with people. Share your life with others. And, and you believe in doing justice and loving mercy. Uh, who wouldn't agree with those things? But what happened to this word? Well, um, unfortunately, in the 1900s. As the 1900s progressed, so did the political and social agendas that hijacked American evangelicalism. And I thought about, and decided not to, uh, I thought about I could, I could go through every presidential campaign and tell you how this this has progressed over time. But we're not even going to talk about that, okay? Our faith became known, this evangelical faith became known for everything its people were against. Blacks, gays, abortion, the list could go on. This, this, we became known for what we're against and not for what we're for. People began to mix their political beliefs with their religious ideologies and presented them as one and the same now. They were never combined in the beginning. People began to mix their political beliefs and religious ideologies, and soon enough, evangelical became the banner under which Republican social values spawned. Social values, for those of you who hear me there, making sure my conservatives hear me right. Uh, and with those ideologies entering into our faith, we became the very people that the evangelicals in the very beginning were opposed to. But this wasn't only a Republican thing. Democrats have also hijacked this term. Yeah, people like Jim Wallace and Sojourners, whose head is in DC, fly under the banner of evangelicalism. They call themselves evangelical and they appeal to the liberal crowd under that term. It has been hijacked for political use. We established our rigid boundary lines. If someone is different from us in the slightest way at all, we cannot fellowship with them and we can't speak to them and we speak against them now and over issues of race and theology and politics and we became a religious force not different from the Catholic Church in the 1500s. We evangelicals tried to make everyone like us, launching political and social crusades against everyone who differed. We became known for our protests and our street preaching and our condemnation and our hatred and then our bigotry. All the things that the movement's earliest founders would abhor, all of them. All of the movement's earliest founders that I mentioned were anti-slavery. <laughs> they were unbelievably giving and incorporating of the poor and marginalized in their communities. 
and they would abhor this. But just as the reign of the corruption of the Catholic Church came to an end, thanks to some of those within the system that spoke against the evils and injustice there, like Martin Luther, who actually is thought to be the man who coined the term evangelical, to describe this movement within the Catholic Church from within the corruption, light rose, right? God stirred in Luther's heart and caused him to see that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so today, I believe, I believe, a new generation of evangelicals are rising. I believe the church has to be evangelical. We are a generation that was birthed in a time when perhaps those who have hijacked the term evangelical are at their worst now, right? Perhaps I would prefer to be called a revangelical, and that's fine. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a fine word for me because God is beginning to show up in the church and showing us what narratives are not true so that this term evangelical can be reclaimed for it is rightly ours. It belongs to us, and it was stolen from us. Very simply put, evangel, the word evangel is the word that means gospel or good news. And evangelical is merely someone passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone who is passionate about the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that God sent his son to die for the sins of all humanity. We just celebrated that last week. The good news that God has brought a kingdom to earth that is full of light and love and holiness and peace and generosity. We just celebrated that last week. The good news that death and evil have been conquered, defeated. We just celebrated that last week. The good news that Jesus Christ is king. That's Resurrection Sunday, y'all. By this standard, we as a church are evangelical. I'm an evangelical. And I love, I love evangelical zeal. I mean, I've been known to every time, every time the leadership team here does an evaluation of me, the one word that like appears like 10 times is the word passionate. So I guess it makes a lot of sense that I'm, I like evangelical zeal. Um, I, <laughs> I could have said gospel zeal, could have said that because the word gospel and evangelical are the same. But when I say evangelical zeal, you hear it differently. I know you do. But I love evangelical zeal. I love people who are passionate about their faith. I love people who are passionate about their faith. Those are my favorite people in the church, the people who are just like broadcasting what we do on social media all the time. I'm like, love it, love it, love it. I love that you're sharing about what we do here and how it's made an impact in your life with others in your life. That's a, that's a big deal. That's important for the church today. What turned out to be Reformation Day in 1517, 500 years ago, when that unknown monk, Martin Luther, exercised a great deal of evangelical zeal that day, in which he proposed for a debate a whole theological argument that challenged the church and issued a wake-up call and set them into revival in Europe. It turned out that this argument that day when he posted it set into motion a theological movement that unsettled the whole church and then all of Christian Europe. That's evangelical zeal. Before that, the writer of Thessalonians, Paul, that we read from today, also exercised a great deal of evangelical zeal. It took as much evangelical zeal, gospel kind of passion, passion about the good news of Jesus Christ for an apostle as it did for a reformer. Paul was sent to preach God's truth, to preach the good news of God and the person of Jesus Christ in a world that was not particularly welcoming of him doing that. And the apostle Paul spoke this dangerous word of the gospel to the Roman Empire 
and Martin Luther spoke this dangerous word of the gospel to the church in Europe, that both of them did not have people that were very receptive to it. In 1 Thessalonians, this is actually thought to be uh, Paul's very, very first writing. Paul reviews what it felt like for him to be a person of evangelical zeal. He says, you know I was shamefully treated in Philippi because I'm an apostle and I didn't shrink from it in the face of opposition. I was approved by God even though I didn't have any human approval at all. And I related to you in ways that were gentle. I was gentle with you like a nurse, he said. I'm a, I'm, I have to be brave. I have to be a brave man. I have to be a good man. I have to be an honest man. And the gospel is what matters. And it matters when I deliver it gently. It's a pretty important part of this, the delivering of this word gently. I begin with evangelical zeal of the reformer and evangelical zeal of the apostle Paul because I think we live in a moment in the church's history when great evangelical zeal is required to live out faithfully before the world the gospel. There was a time not long ago when the church could get by just being timid and unnoticeable. We thought we could just accommodate the you know, enlightenment rationality and we could, we could lean into a little bit the narrative of militarism and then we could kind of get all incorporated into the narrative of consumerism and we could just do what everybody else is doing and we could just kind of flow where everybody else is flowing and we could be largely unnoticeable and we could just filter in, help people become rich and happy because that's what other people in the world are helping them do, become rich and happy. And well, it turns out that those narratives are false. And now we have to assert the truth of the gospel with enormous nerve and courage and freedom and imagination. And I would like to believe that that's what we do at Kingstown. With a, enormous nerve and courage and freedom and imagination, that's evangelical zeal. With evangelical zeal, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica saying, I was determined to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to you. The gospel that Paul gave them was the good news that God's love is generous and that God's grace is without limit. And that turned out to be incredibly good news in Paul's day, but also incredibly good news in Martin Luther's day. The good news in Martin Luther's Germany, nurtured in a church that wanted to offer transactions of faith for God's grace, only if you could afford it, Luther preached with zeal the good news of a church that could be different from that. A gospel church, an evangelical church, where the good news of Jesus Christ would be generously offered to all people without any price on it. This is why even today, the churches of the Reformation in Germany, they've never changed their names. They call themselves evangelical churches. It doesn't mean the same there as it does here, right? I don't have to be as concerned about it, but they insist on keeping this word evangelical in their name. And we actually have one denomination, the, the Lutheran Church split, because well, um, Martin Luther, right? So, but the Lutheran Church in America split, and there is now the, a Lutheran branch that also, it is the more progressive Lutheran branch, but they insisted on keeping the word evangelical in their name because they did not want to go back to that place before. They didn't want to be associated with that place before of a faith that was tied into something you buy. That this is a free, generous faith for all with, without price. 
It's the work of the Reformation and Reformed churches like these to give an account of a limitless generosity of God that overcomes all of our fears, our fears of running out, our fears of not being good enough, our fears of not having done enough, our fears of, owning, of not owning enough or achieving enough, because the news is that God's perfect love casts out fear for all, and it's free. That's evangelical zeal. And when fear is casted out, we have very different kinds of friendships then. We have very different kinds of, of, of neighbor. Our neighbors change, our, our neighborliness changes, and when fear is casted out, we can have very different kinds of public policies then, because we, we can be generous with all the resources we have, and we can make sure that all of our neighbors are included in the generosity of God. That is evangelical zeal. I grew up with a friend, Josh, who was raised in, in adulthood in a very authoritarian, um, very fundamentalist tradition, and he even discerned a call into ministry in that tradition. And he became a youth pastor, and eventually he became an associate pastor, and one weekend while I was back in Virginia Beach a few years back, I ran into Josh at Target, and I knew that I was going into ministry, and I kind of think I remembered him going into ministry, and so we had this conversation um, to have in the middle of Target. And at some point, um, he said he discerned a call into ministry, Josh, um, Josh went into that, but then Josh surprised me. He said, he was very vulnerable in Target that day, very vulnerable. He said, I, um, you know, Michelle, I kind of hate being a pastor. I, I kind of hate it. I, I thought I'd love it, but I kind of hate it. And, and in this long monologue, he starts counting all the ways, all the reasons he hates it. And, and basically at the end, he said, he said, I just find myself angry. I just find myself so deeply angry and and bored. I'm bored and I'm angry. Just, uh, do you ever feel that way, Michelle? Do you ever feel bored and angry? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Not at all. Like, I've got all this abounding evangelical I don't feel either of those things. Never. Because um, if I was either of them, I'd find, a, a, I'd find a replacement for those feelings. But he's like, I just feel so bored and I feel so angry all the time. And I said, well, Josh, it sounds like you should not be in that church. Like, I, I don't know. That sounds like a horrible way to live. You should, no, like, that sounds like it's not a good place for you. It sounds like you've got to get out, Josh. It sounds like that. Maybe you sensed a call to the work of Christian ministry, and God's still calling you, but you are not supposed to be doing ministry there if it's making you feel bored and angry. And he messaged me about three months later telling me that he and his wife and his three children sold their property they had in Virginia Beach, got in a car, drove to upstate New York, and is living with her parents now. Um, and they're the poorest they've ever been. But he, he said, with no income, his children say regularly, God, you're so, Dad, you're so much happier. And I feel like I have my dad back now. You're so much happier. About six months later after that, I reached back out to Josh to check in. Um, you know, I'm worried for him. You move back in with your parents-in-law, and that's rough. And so um, he told me that in this small upstate New York town, he connected with a local Episcopalian minister, and he said to that guy, I'm, I used to be a pastor. I have no credentials in your denomination. I, you, I know you can't, you would never call me a pastor, um, but I feel deeply called, feel deeply connected, deeply drawn to the work of the church, and I don't know what's next for me. I just don't know what's next. Um, he, he reached out to an evangelical pastor and said, but I, I, I would like to give myself to you. I'd like to give over my, myself and whatever I can offer. What, what could I be used for uh, here? 
and and he said, well, I'm going to come pick you up on Monday, and we're going to carpool. I'll call carpool into the neighboring city, and I'll show you exactly what you could be used for. And Josh's new job now is to work with these 30 war-wounded war veterans um, that gather together every Monday morning at this community center in a neighboring town in upstate New York. And Josh had never in his life had any interest to work with the disabled or with veterans growing up in Virginia Beach near Naval Station Norfolk in Oceana. He grew up in a well-militaristic sentimentality area and, and never felt a connection to it, never did. In fact, it bored him, and a lot of the times it made him angry. And he thought, God, why are you leading me into something again that's going to bore me and make me angry? But in this new job, he has to work with these 30 or so wounded veterans to help them through this warrior narrative, this narrative they believe, but this narrative that sometimes is, is, is false. Help them both denounce the kind of warrior narrative and that sense that they're both victims and villains. Help them process their PTSD. Help them process the soul repair that needs to be done, help them realize that the narrative in their minds is not true, but they are loved and that they belong in community and are precious to society. And then after about six months of working with them, he said, it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. In fact, they're so angry, I can't help but just walk in with zeal. They just have so much deep anger, and I walk in, and I am abounding with joy I never knew I could have. An unbegrudging, unbeliever, yet committed, Josh began meeting with them, and he found his zeal. And that's what happened to Paul. He discovered that the old, distorted interpretations of the Torah that he knew well, he had been told, were not true. That's what happened to Luther. He, he discovered that the quid pro quo story of that money-grubbing church that he knew was not the story, that was not the true story. That was not the narrative. They learned that the generous good news of the gospel helps unlearn all those other stories of the lives in our lives that are not true. The warrior narrative was not true. The white supremacist narrative, not true. The patriarchal narrative, the money pan church narrative, the consumer prosperity narrative. American priority narrative, all those things became not true, the I'm not good enough narrative that even Josh felt and said in his head that he didn't share with me but I could see was not true. We're all floating amidst all these competing, the competing news, right? The competing news, the competing narratives that are either good or true or not good or not true. And all of these stories have one thing in common so many of these narratives are telling us that the most important thing is to be first, the most important thing is to be best, the most important thing is to be strongest, and the good news of Jesus Christ in the Reformation, and the good news of Jesus Christ in Paul's letters, and the good news of Jesus Christ in the story of someone like Josh is that, he could, that you can be poor and you can be rejected and, and you can not be a part of the status quo, and that, in fact, is where the real exuberance of Jesus Christ lies. The problem for Josh was that he had to inhale the narrative of fear, and he had to unlearn the false narrative. And when all these people unlearn false narratives of their lives and move into the true narratives of God's goodness, the pressure is all of a sudden lifted, and the anger dissipates, and the fear dissolves, 
Paul shares more in his letter at the end that we, we almost never read. He says, we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but to share our very selves. Paul understood that the truth of the gospel is not this cognitive truth. It's not a proposition. It's not a mantra. It's not a slogan or a certitude. If you came to church wanting to think, it's not what the gospel is. Instead, it is this embodied, relational, social enthusiasm for the things of God. The gospel is only shared through gracious, zealous persons who form gracious communities like this one, who generate generous policies in the world. That's evangelical zeal. Paul came to know this. Luther came to know this. Josh is starting to become familiar with this now. Paul says, I determined to share myself with you. And that's what Josh was doing on Monday mornings. Finally, Paul defines this evangelical zeal by writing, I give myself to you because you have become so very dear to me. So very dear to me. That's what happens when we give ourselves away. When we give ourselves away to other people, when we share the good news that's informed us with other people, they become dear to us. This is an evangelical zeal. This is what it means to claim an evangelical faith. This is how we ought to define evangelical. It's the nerve, the courage, to live out the gospel in society. It doesn't want the gospel lived out because it's just too freaking generous. We are a church. It's the zeal of the apostle, it's the zeal of the reformer, and it's the zeal of the Kingstown Communion, or it should be. We are a church that cares about the glory of Jesus and showing his love and good news to everyone. We're a church motivated, not by political party lines, but by the word of God. We are a church not marked by a list of political againsts, but by the generous grace of Jesus, by what we're for. We are for Jesus. We are for the redemption of the world. We are for the reconciliation of all things. We're for justice. We're for mercy. We are for seeing God's kingdom come. We are evangelical because we are in the process of giving ourselves away. Would you pray with me? God, this good news is worth giving away. And we know that, but each of us here comes with our own story and uh, our own tentativeness and our own experiences of evangelism that have made us feel other or um, boxed, us, boxed us in or we, we all come and we are a little leery of being super exuberant people. <laughs> Exuberance uh, is not too far off from extremism and yet how can we claim that our lives have been changed? We're not excited about the transformation. This is a story worth sharing. This is a story that has changed our lives. It's changed the whole world. And we are, we this church, and we in our own selves desire, God, that, that generosity of spirit, that gentleness, and that desire to give ourselves away. We 
make relationships priority, not, not theological discourse and contemplation, but relationships that this God I can theologically contemplate has also changed my heart a little bit. And this God who you can theologically contemplate might change your heart too. Make us people who are open to that. Not open to proselytizing conversations, but open to conversations of real transformation where we listen to people's stories and we give ourselves away. Thank you, God, for your exuberance for us. We pray that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Table.